Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda K. Lindenbaum, Zichrona Levracha, is the research arm of SAR High School, where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. The Grand Conversation podcast features deep dives into the topics explored by Machon Siach fellows. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School and co-director of Machon Siach, and our producer is Rabbi Avi Bloom, Director of Technology at SAR High School. We are recording this podcast during the pandemic, and so please excuse the muffled talk uh, that was necessary to make this podcast happen. For today's Grand Conversation podcast, we are kicking off an important conversation about spirituality in the modern Orthodox Yeshiva High School. I am thrilled to welcome Rabbanit Lisa Schlaff, Director of Judaic Studies at SAR High School, and Dr. Gillian Steinberg, SAR High School English faculty and co-director of our faculty's professional development. Dr. Steinberg and Rabbanit Schlaf coordinated Machon Siach's faculty Beit Midrash on spirituality the past two years, and they've written and overseen papers and projects on the subject of spirituality. Gillian and Lisa, welcome to the Grand Conversation. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, let's begin with the Machon Siach faculty Beit Midrash group dedicated to spirituality. How did this spirituality Beit Midrash group come into being, and what were some of the goals that you had in mind when it started? I'll start with you, Lisa. So Gillian and I really came to this separately. I had been thinking a lot about whether we were giving students enough time and space in our Judaic studies classrooms to not just understand, but to really think about how what they are learning connects them to God. And Gillian had been running a tefillah group that involved journaling and was a more contemplative space. We decided to join forces in creating this spirituality group, and that was my great fortune. Great. So what was the, the scope of this group? How did you define what it meant in terms of spirituality? That's the kind of word that's a little bit vague uh, and maybe has some... Uh, different connotations, and, and what was the process of re research that the group undertook? Gillian, maybe you can talk a little bit about how the mode of thinking and research for this group as a Machon Siach faculty Beit Midrash is different than uh, faculty discussing how to enhance tefillah. Sure, absolutely. So a lot of the groups, I think, tend to do research um, in, a, in a fairly standardized way. That is, everyone would read the same pieces and then discuss them. And we started our group that way also. We shared some pieces from psychologists, from rabbis, from various people who thought about adolescent development and education. Um, but we realized very quickly that exactly as you say, spirituality is a little bit of a vague term. And we wanted to lean into that rather than resist it by saying, here's how we're de defining spirituality as the leaders of this group. So we actually pivoted to have the group members themselves bring in various pieces that they felt connected to their spirituality. And in that way, I think the group became much more personal in its approaches. And you see that in the papers that were produced from the group. People are approaching the term spirituality with a number of different definitions. And that speaks, I think, to the breadth of our students' experience as well, and something that we wanted to capture in this group rather than trying to narrow the way that we think about spirituality. And did everybody write a paper? Was the product at the end of this group the same for everyone who did the research, or were there some different uh, options that were offered for different members of the faculty group? We had a, a clear sense of the papers that we wanted to 
produce at the end. And it was important to us that there be a pragmatic element. So rather than just a paper based on research, we also asked everyone to include something along the lines of a lesson plan. How would this be enacted, whether in a classroom or a tefillah setting or something like that? So everyone did produce something in that sort of genre, but it wasn't just a paper, it's sort of a hybrid. Really interesting. So we're gonna come back to your papers in just a moment. Uh, but before we do that, I wanna kind of keep the, the the question a little broader for an, another round and, and talk a little bit about the adolescence or the high school setting uh, for this spirituality group. And in the research or in your conversations, I'm curious if there was some discussion about teenagers and adolescents and their uh, connection to spirituality, their understanding the importance of spirituality in their lives and how that compares and contrasts with adults uh, and an ongoing uh, quest for understanding spirituality. How are adolescents and adults different? What are the common denominators between them? Lisa, do you have some thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, so the research points to the fact that adolescents are really spiritual beings, that there's a real window here in terms of talking about teenagers and spirituality. Teenagers sometimes get a bad rap as being considered cynical and jaded, but anyone who works with high school kids will tell you that if you scratch the surface a tiny bit, there's a tremendous amount of openness. We have kids at a crucial time of life when they're trying to figure out who they are and what they believe in. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for role models. They want the world to make sense and they want things to feel important. And teenagers are also incredibly flexible. So they're willing to experiment with you. Um, more than adults, they're really happy to try out new things. Um, so we, and as educators and as parents, need to capitalize on that window of openness. And we need to help them experiment with different modes of tefillah, with different ways of talking about Torah, with different ways of connecting to textual learning. And most of all, the adults in their lives, both teachers and parents, need to talk with them about God. Interesting. Gillian, like me, you have children who are students in SAR High School, so I wonder how that lends as parent, as faculty, as a member of the community, as a president of a local synagogue. How did the spirituality piece and all those different subpopulations factor into your thinking? Uh, interesting. So to add to what Lisa's saying, which I think is really important, um, and it just, I think, a beautiful and optimistic view in a way that we want to approach our students. I'd also say that there's a significant difference in structure, and I see that certainly through my own children, but thinking about the experience of shul going also, um, it's not just that adolescents are open to these kinds of conversations, which they certainly are, but they're forced into spiritual settings in a way that adults are not. I think it's very important for us to remember both of those things. When an adult doesn't feel like going to shul, they don't get uh, any kind of penalty for that um, beyond perhaps one that's between them and, them and Hashem. We don't know about it. No one's taking attendance. And, um, and adults have a lot of flexibility. In fact, if you think about the shul experience, we have adults who sit there and schmooze with their friends almost the entire time or bring a book um, or experience tefillah in lots of different ways that our adolescents are not actually permitted to. So I think when we're considering spirituality, we want to say, yes, kids are so open to having these conversations and desperate for them in a way, but also they feel boxed in to a certain kind of spirituality that I think 
rightly needs to be dictated by a school, but is very, very different from the adult version of what this looks like, which involves much more individual choice making. Hmm. So I, I want to share something from my own experiences, and maybe uh, this was reflected in, in some of the thinking that your group did. For me, as someone who, who is both a teacher in a high school and a rabbi in a synagogue, it's rare that I ever am in a tefillah setting where I'm not in charge or have to be there. And one of the things about the early days of the pandemic that I still think about and that I've mentioned in other settings is the idea that I, I, I spent time in my office with my tefillin on beyond just the few minutes of tefillah, and it was like the, the only time I felt really connected and, and spiritually engaged um, in a tefillah setting, because I'm always worrying about who's here and who's there and what am I doing and how can I make sure to finish Monasterian times so that we can do the Chazarat shots. So I guess the question I would ask is, did, did the pandemic and some of the experiences that we were going through the last couple of years uh, manifest itself in some of the thinking and the research that was done? So the, the group, I'll, I'll, I'll start us off on that one. Um, the group actually, um, uh, the, the timeline of this was really interesting because the group started pre-pandemic, but then continued into the pandemic. And I think certainly some of the work of the group around tefillah in particular really did uh, open up in a particular way because of the pandemic in exactly the way that you're saying, Shmuel. Meaning the idea that choice is important, that there's not a one-size-fits-all kind of answer. Um, I think people would have said before, but I really feel like got brought up to the surface much more in a real kind of way um, because of people's experiences during the pandemic, absolutely. It wasn't necessarily something that we discussed so explicitly, but it was shaping so much of every aspect of our own experiences as teachers, as leaders of tefillot in school, um, as people who are participating in our communities in various ways, that I think it ended up being implicit in almost everything that we were talking about thereafter. Yeah, and I'm going to say in, in different ways, meaning not just only because of, if you think about tefillah, not just only like, oh, look how tefillah is meaningful to me when I have the opportunity to have them by myself in a room, but what does it mean to miss out on community, right? And like the importance of community was also really brought, brought to the forefront. And how do we think about that in terms of educating our kids, right? It's not just about me and myself in a spiritual body. But like, what am I losing out on when I don't have that tefillah b'tzibor? Really interesting. I want to turn our attention now to each of your papers just for a minute, which are going to be published along with this podcast, and uh, ask a little bit about, uh, give, give you some time to reflect on how spirituality uh, and the pursuit of spirituality with your, sp with your students uh, reflects itself in your paper. So Gillian, you, you wrote about spirituality in the English classroom and specifically when it comes to poetry. Uh, so how does spirituality inform your teaching choices and method uh, and, and the like? So I think I have a pretty unusual background that really shapes everything about how I think about spirituality, um, not just because my degree is in secular literature, but I'm very invested in the Jewish community and part of it in a lot of ways. Um, but, but within like my subfield, I guess, I, I study Christian poetry, and I, that's very important to me, um, and it's important in a way that 
that has, like, I think shaped my thinking about spirituality generally because I grew up as a minority in a not just predominantly but entirely Christian community, um, the small town that I'm from. I really felt that my spirituality was often in contrast to the people around me as opposed to in community with them. And most of our students have not had an experience like that. And so when I go to the English classroom, I want students to understand how profoundly spiritual it can be to study the work of people who are unlike oneself, which I think we don't always consider because we're so accustomed to thinking about Judaism and community. And having come from a place where I didn't have that opportunity, I think it's shaped everything about how I approach my teaching and the literature that I love and the ways that even as like a child in a utterly, like entirely Christian community, I felt very spiritually Jewish. I try to share some of that, I think, with students through, through my teaching of poetry that is explicitly not Jewish. And that's what I tried to capture in the paper. Um, it takes some time for people to wrap their heads around that because I think most people in the New York area just haven't had that same kind of unusual experience. So would you even argue that your exposure and interest in Christian poetry is part of what helped you feel more connected to the Jewish concept of God in your life? That is absolutely the case. And the same thing also with like Christian art. My father's a medievalist. So the, the studying of like medieval art, which really is very heavily Christian in its iconography, um, helped me to find my place as a spiritual person in Judaism. Um, and, and it's something that I've worked with for a long time. So I definitely think that that's the case. And I want students to see how that's possible too. Not just setting something up in opposition, but also seeing that other people's profound belief can help us to believe profoundly. Wow, beautiful. Um, Lisa, you've spent a lot of time as the director of Judaic studies and as the person who oversees tefillah here, thinking about tefillah and running tefillah and how to make tefillah more meaningful. Um, but you went even further with your paper that emerged from this cohort. Um, what, what was the uh, takeaway or what's the recommendations that you're suggesting now and, and how do they speak to this uh, significance of spirituality in, in our kids' lives? So uh, my, my thoughts about the paper really started with two observations. Um, the first observation about kids davening in the yeshiva day school setting is that there's a lot of wasted time. Um, there's a lot of time that kids don't daven. Um, and that in the yeshiva day school setting, when we are so crazy about the five minutes here and the five minutes there and what time we're starting and you know, class begins at 2.57, um, the idea of just wasted time in general is an anathema. Um, and observation number two is when they daven, they really do daven. So the same student who will have uh, uh, the same student who will sit and not say psuke de zimra may daven shmona esrei um, a very long shmona esrei and a very intense shmona esrei um, and where that really brings me to um, is I actually do feel very hopeful about tefillah for our students I don't think we have a davening crisis I think we have kids who are for the most part interested and engaged in tefillah but that we have to do our best to create the right kind 
of setting for that to happen. Um, and what I talk about in the paper is the idea that the way our tefillah tends to be structured right now in day schools is that we are mimicking shul. We're kind of teaching kids to be comfortable in a regular shul environment, and that I think we need to shift our goal not to educating towards shul, but to educating towards spirituality, to think about what does it mean to be in a particular place with Hashem, and instead of just jumping into that the way that we would jump into any regular period of you know biology or uh, math, what does it mean to kind of enter into that space? So taking the time at the beginning of davening to really set the stage for kids for the tefillah encounter that we're about to have. Fascinating. Um, I want to zoom back out before we wrap uh, up our conversation to talk a little bit about the enterprise of spirituality in the broader community and maybe uh, how that's sometimes in tension with uh, our identity as, as modern Orthodox Jews. I think in the broader modern Orthodox community, and we're going to devote uh, an additional podcast or two to this topic, uh, we are seeing a larger trend of kind of newer spirituality and neo Hasidut uh, making its inroads um, in our community. And I think in our school community, uh, which emphasizes kind of intellectual rigor and analytical thinking has struggled with incorporating some of these ideas or, or were challenged uh, by the dispositions that um, neo-Hasidut and, and a focus on spirituality, an overt focus, uh, brings to the fore. So I wonder if you can reflect on uh, ways in which SAR High School is seeking to integrate or incorporate some of these larger trends and whether you think they are as intention as maybe we we think at first glance. I'll, I'll start with you, Lisa. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the second one here. Um, I, I think the perceived dichotomy between intellectual rigor and spirituality is complete bogus. Um, I, I really believe that the better I understand a text, the better I am able to relate to it on an emotional level. If I spend time thinking deeply about a Torah text, learning Mepharshim, considering my questions about it, of course that's going to help me better integrate that text into my life. And I think the best lesson that we can possibly impart to our students is that the more you approach Torah with seriousness and with rigor, the more impact it will have on you in the end. Um, so if I can share an anecdote, um, every year I get a couple of emails from some of our female graduates in Israel frustrated that their yeshivot are asking them while, while they're learning Gemara how they feel about what a particular Amora might have said. Uh, how might how might that Amora have felt if their argument is accepted or rejected? Um, those emails are really predictable by now. They say our male counterparts in yeshivot are just learning Gemara and nobody's asking them how they feel. Um, and I always tell these graduates that actually that might mean that the girls' schools are taking Torah learning more seriously, right? Why shouldn't everybody be learning seriously, evaluating opinions, and then saying, well, how do we feel about this? What does this actually mean for our lives? And I, I, I think the idea that we're either approaching something with intellectual rigor or we're either sort of feeling fuzzy and spiritual about it um, is, is a really terrible dichotomy. Yogi Berra said that he can't hit and think at the same time. 
And I've always thought that when it comes to davening and things like that, that there is some truth to it, that if you're overly focused on the, the analytical side, you can't actually do it. So I guess that's what I'm, I'm talking about in terms of the intellectual rigor versus the experiencing and being in the moment. But I, your point is well taken that setting them up as opposites and as a dichotomy is probably a mistake. Gillian. Yeah, I'm going to resist the question a little bit too, sorry. That's fine. Um, I think that um, part of the experience of tefillah especially or of spirituality more generally is um, that there's a problem with it. So no matter how we approach it, there's a problem with it. Maybe the trend that you're identifying is is accurate. I, I don't know that I have such a beat on that, whether that really is an accurate trend. I mean, I think we can see the same trend in like the 1840s or whatever. Um, so these trends go are cyclical, right? They, they move through. But I think that the reason that that's the case is that no matter what we've settled on in any given moment, it's not quite right. To me, that's actually the beauty of tefillah. It's always a little bit off. Like we always have to keep striving because it's never going to be quite right. Maybe right now what we're, what we're sensing is a split between feeling and intellectualism, although I'm not sure that I would frame it that way. But I really think that what we're saying is tefillah always feels hard and therefore a little bit wrong. Um, and to some degree, I feel like that means we're doing it correctly. If it's um, an easy sell or something that you feel you can go to on a thrice daily basis with no resistance at all, with no conflict at all, it's probably not working the way it's supposed to. So I actually don't feel any tension in that. I, I feel like um, that's a sign that it's doing what it should do. Because if you don't feel challenged pretty much all the time, probably not a lot of room for growth. And that's something that we can be explicit with our students about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our congregants. I hadn't thought of how the thrice daily grind should be, feel challenging and difficult at times. And if you're not feeling that, maybe maybe you're not taking it seriously. Right. Although I wouldn't want to criticize people for that either. I mean, good for them if that's how they feel. <laughs> but I do think that most of us at some point, whether each day or every week or in a lifetime, struggle. And the struggle is part of the success. So I want to conclude by by asking each of you, because as you mentioned, you, you leaned into the different ways of understanding spirituality and different manifestations of it. If you want, would share a moment or a vignette from your lifetime, maybe as a teenager or as an adult teaching teenagers, where you've experienced a kind of spiritual moment or, or a time where you where you return to, to some kind of experience that had a formative effect on you. Gillian, I'll start with you. I'm gonna answer it slightly differently, and I think this is gonna sound cheesy, but it's completely genuine. Um, every day walking into SAR feels like that for me. Um, as a kid, this was the dream. To imagine a school filled with Jewish kids who cared about Judaism in various ways and wanted to learn, and teachers who wanted to encourage that, was a thing that I literally dreamed about but did not know existed. And to work here is like a fulfillment of that vision that I had as a kid, where I imagined that I had one Jewish friend. If I knew one Jewish kid, it would have felt like everything was okay. Um, it turns out Jews are more complicated than they <laughs> seemed in my imagination. But, um, but coming in here and seeing what these kids have, what my own children have, which was like, I can't tell you how longed for in my life. I feel like I have it here every single day. 
Lisa, try to top that one. So I, I'm going to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the cheese factor on you, Gillian. Um, uh, so I stopped my class last week in the middle of class. Um, they were all working on, like, they were working on Chavruta, and they were working on a sheet on a particular sugya we were studying in Gemara. And there was, like, so much focus. And I just stopped, and I said, like, can we stop and just appreciate, like, how focused we all are on, like, understanding this piece of Torah? And it just, like, it, it was a moment, and it could have just been a nothing, but those moments when you really feel like there's a power in the classroom of kids focused on learning Torah or focused in a biology class on understanding the world, those feel like beautiful spiritual moments. And this is a true story. My son, who is in Lisa's Gemara class, came home and told me about that particular moment and how impactful it was on him. So with that, I want to wrap up this episode and our first of several on the topic of spirituality in the modern Orthodox community and specifically in the modern Orthodox high schools. Lisa and Gillian, thank you so much for for leading this group and for uh, opening up the conversation here today. Thank you, this was fun.